awesome. Yo, 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 what it do, what it do. It's your boy, Yellow the Poet. And today I am here with Mr. Bob. How do I pass it? DePasco? DePasquale. DePasquale. There you go. Don't mean to, don't mean to butcher the name. <laughs> no worries, brother. No worries. Man. I'm happy to be here. How are you doing? Awesome. Awesome. I am grateful to have you here. Thank you so much, Bob, for joining YTP Entertainment. I am looking forward to this awesome thing. I see in your backdrop that you actually talk about personal finance, please. And you're an author. I love that. So please elaborate more for us. Thank yeah, you. absolutely. Well, I thought you might like that. I'm an author. I'm, I wouldn't call myself a poet, though. That's that's a that's a unique <laughs> skill, my brother. That's one of them things where you got to be able to say what you want to say and get out. And, you know, I in this in this this baby behind me that took I had fifty thousand words to say everything that I wanted to say. Uh, yeah. So the book is called Personal Finance in a Public World. I, I spent many years working in the financial industry. I still do. Uh, but I, I, about a year and a half ago, my business partner and I left our previous firm that we worked for. Wow. And I realized there was a lot of unfinished business, if you will. And because of compliance and different reasons, it was really hard for me to do media, write, you know, write, I couldn't write a book and podcasting would have been pretty challenging. So finally, when I, when we left and started our own firm to focus a little bit deeper on the families that we work with the best, kind of had some unfinished thoughts that I wanted to share that I really wouldn't be able to too much anymore to individuals. So I said, you know what, I'm going to put it in a book and let me take 12 or 13 years of dealing with people and their money and, and technology these days. And let me put it in the book. So it's all about how social media technology and ads affect how we make money decisions. Yes. Yeah. I believe strongly that money is a, a powerful tool in our life. It's, it, it, it's not the final goal uh, for most people or, or, or should it be really it's, it's, it's a tool that we can use uh, for good, I believe. And if we have a healthy relationship with money, and then these days we also need a healthy relationship with technology, as you might know. Uh, and if we can do that, you know, our lives will be much better. The world will be much better place. So that's why I wrote the book. I totally agree with you on that. We definitely have to have a personal relationship with mm -hmm. money because so many people look at money in so many different ways. They look at it mm -hmm. in a negative aspect, but... I believe that the points of views that a lot of people make on money are sometimes connected to their past experiences. Mm -hmm. And those past experiences can either be positive or negative. It just depends on what that person goes through and their perception of how they went through things. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. Uh, you know, having worked with thousands of family, literally thousands, not an exaggeration, but just having these deep conversations with people that the, the intention wasn't to have a deep conversation. It was they would come into the office and they would call me up and they'd say, hey, I got a couple of things I need you to help me with. And I did a little bit of digging and I realized exactly what you're saying. The the relationship that they would have, have with money is often modeled what they experienced earlier in their life, uh, whether that's healthy or unhealthy or good or bad. It doesn't matter. It's just typically how they've experienced it. Exactly. And a lot of times they have to think, think about that. They have to acknowledge that first. Yes. Yes. And if those things aren't acknowledged, it's kind of like um, doing the um, self-preservation exercise, if you would. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing self-preservation, you usually mapping out your positives, your negatives, um, what your positive strengths are, what your negative strengths are, and how those things apply to you today. So when you're doing those things, you're actually looking at yourself and you're saying, hmm, here's something that I can work on and here's something else that I can work on, but how do I make those things work for me now? Mm -hmm. And if you haven't looked at yourself and gotten to know yourself, then you're pretty much lost. You really don't know how you're going to get things to actually work for you. And you find yourself going into a downhill slope as opposed to moving forward with things that will actually help you progress in life. And I look at money pretty much the same way, you know? <laughs> if you oh, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great way to put it, man, because, you know, I've seen people spiral out of control pretty quickly with their finances because of some, some bad decisions. Um, and, and normally it takes time uh, to, to grow. You know, if, you know, one of the chapters in the book is specifically about investing and it's a little, you know, 
it, it's a lot about delayed gratification and patience. You know, so to, to grow financial wealth, it usually it normally takes time. There's a very few people who, who win the lottery or, you know, do something like that. And statistics show the people who get a windfall of money frequently lose it pretty quickly. Oh. Uh, so it's a tough subject because, yeah, you can go downward pretty fast. Uh -huh. uh, and it usually takes a lot of time to grow. So if 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 everything can be taken down pretty quickly, it's it's it can be very intimidating, is what I'm saying. And I find people that acknowledge the things that they maybe struggle with, and like you talked about, address them, and just try to build simple habits. You know, it's not it's not like you know you can't make a change overnight and expect to suddenly be financially rich or wealthy. It takes time. And if you can acknowledge that, I think you have a much better chance of being successful in the long run. Yes, indeed. And it takes work. It takes work. You have to be willing to put in that work. You have to be um, effortlessly mm -hmm. ready and willing to say, I'm not going to give up regardless of what I want to keep doing what I have to do. And learn from whatever your negative experiences are, learn from your positive experiences, because that's one of the things that a lot of people don't speak about. They don't speak about their negatives as a learning experience. They speak about their positives as a learning experience, but they omit to speak that their negatives mm -hmm. are also an experience because without those negatives, you don't have the balance to say, hey, I'm going to go this way oh, I'm going to go that way because I've learned that now I need to go this way in order to be successful. I, I hear you. And when you think about it, I would I, I would argue, honestly, that there's a select few negative, really, really hard times in your life. I know it's been the case for my life where those hardest times actually teach the best lessons, even better than the successes. Not that the successes shouldn't be celebrated and aren't good, but yeah. there's always some times that are really, really challenging that seem to, to, to yield the most growth for people. Yes, yes, that is so true. That is so true. So tell me, um, what are some of the struggles that you went through and how have they affected you today? Oh man, uh, how much time do we have, my friend? Uh, <laughs> let, so I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the story that really shaped and changed uh, my life about half of my life ago. It happened now, which is kind of crazy that it's been that long. But uh, when I was eighteen, I, I was going off to college, and I don't know if you're when you were eighteen, uh, but I thought I was invincible. You know, I thought nothing could take me down. You know, my, my friends couldn't take me down, my school couldn't take me down. You know, the world, nothing was going to take me down. Wow. And I went off to college and I was going to be playing football in college. Now, I grew up for the most part in South Florida. I was actually born in New York, but I moved down to, to Florida when I was three. And I thought it was going to be cool. I was going to go back up to New York, go to school, you know, maybe get an education. To be honest with you, I don't know how important that was at that time in my life, but I was going to get, I was going to learn a little bit. I was going to go back where my family's from to get to know them, my cousins and, and my family a little bit better because I didn't really know them that well. I only saw them, you know, occasionally every couple of years on holidays. And I was also going to play ball. What a perfect, I mean, that was like the perfect thing for an 18-year-old dude. Right. So I go up there. I think I'm going to take on the world. I'm in my freshman year of training camp. And I'm trying to, you know, prove myself to my coaches. I'm just a freshman from Florida. You know, no one really knows who I am. Maybe the coaches that recruited me. But really, I was a nobody. And in the first, maybe the third or fourth practice that we had, I pulled my groin muscle. Now, I don't know about you. It's another, another thing. If you've ever, if anyone's out there ever pulled a groin muscle, that is a brutal injury. Like you don't even realize how much you use that muscle. I mean, you can't walk, you can't sit down, stand up, lay down, sleep. Like it was, it was brutal. Yeah. And I'm thinking, man, wow, this, what a horrible time. And I'm asking, I'm like, God, like you're killing me here. Like, why do I have this injury? Like heal me overnight. Like I want to feel better so I can go out there and ball. And I remember doing this exercise to rehab and a college training room and facilities are way more advanced than high school. Uh, so if you can picture this room that's probably 100 feet long and there's just 100 people in there on any given morning during training camp, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, and the commotion is just unbelievable at, at, that, at that hour. And I remember doing this, this exercise where I would sit on a stool that had three wheels on it. So not a stationary stool, but there were wheels, and I would have to shimmy myself across this training room. And part of the exercise was to to dodge basically to dodge people because there was so much commotion going on and at one point maybe a week into doing this 
our head trainer, who's all of maybe 5'8", 140 pounds, I mean, not a very big guy. I remember he used to have to stand on this box to get everyone's attention because no one would see the guy. And it it, it must have been, I mean, the, the noise and commotion going on there, but all of a sudden it got dead silent this one day, or at least it seemed like that to me. And he st Rick stands up in this box and he's like, Bobby! And that's what they call me. They call me Bobby. You got to get back out on the field. Quit being a weakling. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this trainer, this little dude is calling me out in front of all my, you know, coaches and trainers and new teammates. I feel like such a loser. And I, I said, Rick, I went up to him. I said, Rick, like, we got to have a conversation about this. A, I'm not really happy with you calling me out like that. But number two, something's not right. This ain't getting any better. So he's like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to send you to the doctor. It's been too long for a groin injury. So over a period of a week, now I'm 18, so I'm technically an adult, but I am definitely not an adult mentally at this point in my life. <laughs> uh, I, I'm still borderline uh, an adolescent when it comes to the mind. That's my wife. But so I'm driving all over New York, Long Island, like going to all these tests by myself. And the, the majority of them, I, mean, I had sonograms, cat, CAT scans, ultrasound, MRI, you name it, every test in the book. And I would go to these appointments and I'd have to fill out all this paperwork. It would take me over an hour. I mean, insurance, car, I, mean, I don't know how any of that stuff works as a kid at that point. And I would be in there for two, three hours in these appointments, especially the MRI. Oh, the MRIs are the worst. You sit in there forever. Claustrophobia. And finally, I had an appointment on a Thursday. And this Thursday, when my parents were flying up from Florida to New York, they were supposed to be coming to my first ever college game. And I expected them to land and get, get to my uncle's house, which where, where they were going to be staying, because remember, my family's from up there. And I would call them after I got out of my appointment. But I, this appointment went, went really fast. I got in, had no paperwork to fill out, went, they took me almost right into the room, sat at a desk, and, and the doctor comes in, and he sits down. And I mean, he didn't say anything, but Bobby, got your reports, you have cancer. And that was it. That's all he said to me. And I, my jaw dropped, hit the desk. And I was like, I was like, what? And he's like, I know you're in shock. We'll get a treatment plan. We're going to hook you up with an oncologist. And, but you can go now. And that was it. And he told me to leave. So I'm thinking to myself, all right, that's crazy. Um, I, 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 like I said, I was in shock. And so I walked out of the building. And the moment that I walked out of the building, I mean, like clockwork, my phone rings. And it's my mom. And she's like, hey, how'd the appointment go? We just landed. And I'm like, uh, about the appointment, mom. <laughs> so I had to tell her that I had just been diagnosed with cancer. And I and I said it. And, and she, I mean, I could see or I could feel like the air in the car that they were in just come out. I, I mean, she said so much without actually saying anything. And I thought to myself, wow, this is this is crazy. And I could, the only thing I could hear was my dad on the other side. He's like, Susan, Susan, what's wrong? Like he could tell something was wrong too. Uh, my mom's name is Susan. And we ended up meeting back at my uncle's house later that day. And, you know, well, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes later. And I, I, I hadn't seen my parents in months. I gave them a big hug and we shed some tears and said some prayers and kind of looked at each other like, what is going on? Wow. So, uh, ended up speaking with the oncologist the next day and he told me you have to take classes like you can't do nothing we don't know what the treatment protocol will be is but don't drop your classes so i had this in my mind the fall for the following week well that was a friday that saturday which was supposed to be my first game obviously i wasn't playing in it at this point uh, my uncle's best friend came over his house and we're all sitting there in the morning and his name was tim o'brien i'll never forget this and he comes in and says hi to my uncle and my aunt and, and introduces himself to us and says, Bob and Susan, I, I, don't, I can't imagine what you're going through with your son right now. This is, this is crazy. Here's my keys. Take my car. And for as long as you possibly need it to, to do whatever you have to do to get your son treated for his illness, you can have my car. Mm -hmm. And we, my parents were flabbergasted. They're like, what? I, this guy just giving us his car? That's crazy. And he was there for maybe 15 minutes, yellow. And he said goodbye to my uncle and bye to us and left. And that was it. 15 minutes was gone. So we fast forward a couple of days now. It's Monday morning, go to my first ever college class. We take Tim's car all over creation for a few more doctor's appointments to figure out what we're going to do. And Tuesday morning comes and it's my second ever college class. I go into the class, total, you know, normal, whatever, come out. 
said, you know what? I'm kind of hungry. Before I go back to my uncle's, let me, let me grab something to eat. I went to the cafeteria and I was eating a breakfast burrito. And do you remember those, like an old school, small, like maybe eight inch tube television that would hang from a bracket yeah. at a public yeah. place? <laughs> well, not like a flat screen, like this thing behind me, but right. like it's an old school, I, I think it was color. It wasn't black and white, but it was a color TV. Yeah. And it's hanging from this bracket in the corner of the ceiling and the wall. And the news is on. Now, I don't know the news stations because, I mean, I'm from Florida. So whatever's on TV, I'm just watching, you know, right. eating my burrito. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm watching it, and a plane hits one of the Twin Towers in New York City. And I'm like, what a horrible accident. Like, that's, that's terrible. Right. So I called my dad. And I said, Dad, you know, did you see what, what's going on, on on the news? He's like, yeah, I'm watching the news. It's crazy. This plane hit the tower. And we were talking for maybe a minute or whatever. And all of a sudden, the second plane comes around and bam, hits the second tower. Wow. And my dad's like, this is not an accident. You better come back to your uncle's now. So I don't even think I finished the burrito. It's probably still sitting there to this day. Dropped it, hopped in a car, and I drove. It would typically take me 15 minutes to drive from school to my uncle's house. It took me nine hours. Oh, I did the whole drive. Uh, now, listen, subsequently, I've... I went to grad, graduate school. I have a master's degree in broadcast journalism. I worked in radio. I love radio and podcasting, but I will never, ever listen to nine straight hours of AM radio ever again. Uh, but it was riveting. I was in the car driving with the burning towers of 9-11 terrorist attacks in the distance, listening to it on the radio and in bumper to bumper traffic, people trying to get, I was crazy. And nine hours later, I pulled into my uncle's neighborhood it's dark. It's practically, it's almost dark out at this point. And, and the, my, I ran out of gas in his neighborhood. So we're pushing my car into his driveway. And we're thinking like, this is nuts. Like what's going on with my life? I, at first I was like, well, my life's probably over since I have cancer. And now the world's coming to an end because of these attacks. What, what, what's happening? And my aunt was hysterical. She was, cause we couldn't get a hold of my uncle who was on business the night before subsequently we found out that he was okay he was in denver and he was supposed to fly home that morning but his flight got canceled and he called maybe eight o'clock at night and said hey guys i'm okay i'm sure you've been panicking but the, the phones have been out i've been trying to get through all day i'm safe i'm going to try to hop a flight tomorrow uh, but everything's fine you know I'm, I'm okay don't worry about it and my aunt was going to hang up the phone but he, he was like no wait a minute but one one last thing uh tim my best friend, who you guys just met a few days ago, he was in the tower this morning and he died. And we were like, oh man, that's terrible. And come to find out, Tim was this incredibly generous guy. Uh, he worked for a investment bank called, uh, known as Cantor Fitzgerald. They're still around these days. But that morning, hundreds of employees that were in that tower that would be in the office early on a weekday morning, they all died. And they, that whole firm is extremely generous. They would donate office space to my uncle's foundation uh, for cystic fibrosis, which is a disease that my cousin has. And just about everyone from the foundation, except for this one lady, Tammy, would never be in the office that early. So none of the people lost their life. Tammy was uncharacteristically late. And God bless her because, I, you know, I don't know what happened or why, but she was just uncharacteristically late that morning and was in the subway below the tower and she survived she's okay but the stories that she could tell you are unbelievable and so that morning uh was uh, that whole day obviously a lot of people remember where they were but it, it makes me realize about you know we don't really know how long we have on this earth and the things that the thing that tim did for me and come to find out all the other things that he's done for other people over the years his kids were little at that point i mean his poor wife and family uh, but they've since grown up and I had, a, I've had an opportunity to talk with them since I, one of my, both of my cousins have been married and we've been to weddings. I've had more time to actually talk to them as adults and right. the stories they've told me about Tim are amazing. Um, and he really lived out his generosity. So combined with what happened with Tim and a whole host of other things and stories that I could talk to you for hours about, um, there were some really generous acts that happened in my life at that point. And you talked about your original question was like struggles and challenges. <laughs> and that obviously was a very, very challenging time in my life. And I didn't know I was going to make it through, but between Tim and a, and a few other things that happened to me, I realized that it's not all me. You know, I thought I was going to be the best cancer patient in the world. 
And I'll tell you more stories about the things that I did to over to overcome cancer and what I thought was most important. Come to find out it was other forces of generosity uh, and, and the plans that God had for me in, in my life at that point. And so now I look back and I say, you know what? Ever since then, I will never give up an opportunity uh, to be generous to someone in some way. Because you know what? We None of us may change the world, yeah. but we might change the world for one person. And so that's been a really, really important part of my life. So that struggle, and I think about it every day. This an, another non-exaggeration. Not a day goes by in my life where I don't think of that week-long period in my life. And it reminds me uh, that we have an opportunity to do great things. So I always remember that. Yes, yes, indeed. Wonderful story. Wonderful story. I mean, it's definitely giving me a bit of chills here because there are some things in your story that I can actually relate to. Um, it's it's amazing how you you to share that story. I definitely appreciate it. And I'm hoping that the audience appreciates it as well. As well. Um, I tell you, it's it was pretty rough for me growing up as a child, um, suffering um, mm -hmm. physical and mental abuse as a child. It was it was crazy, and thank goodness for my grandparents, typically grandmothers, two grandmothers and a great grandmother. Um, without them, I don't think that I would be here speaking the way that I am because my mindset probably would have been in a different place all over the place by now. Mm -hmm. But I did, I too, when I was 18 years old, I didn't feel like I um, could own the world or anything like that. Thanks to my grandmothers, I was mm -hmm. in a place where I was able to say, hey, look, if I can help somebody, I would. Because I had started a business of mine as uh, doing murals at the age of 15. And I didn't tell anybody, I didn't even tell my grandmothers that I had started this business because I wanted to see where it would go and mm -hmm. how much personal growth I could actually get from it. It wasn't even about the money, although for a 15-year-old, I've made pretty good money. You know, $3,000 here, $1,000 there. I, I made pretty good money, but it wasn't about the money. It was more so about understanding the relationships between myself and a diverse group of people. That's what it was really about. And I mm -hmm. tell you, to this day, I am honored, I'm grateful, and I appreciate that experience because even to this day, I'm able to speak to diverse groups of people and I love it. I love it. I wouldn't change it for the world. And that also brings me to this point. In your struggles, how have your struggles helped you to structure your business today? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know if I've ever been asked it like that before. That's awesome. By the way, I uh, commend you for overcoming what you've overcome too. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, I don't know you that well, but I feel like your creativity is really a good strength and outlet for you. I think that's awesome. Thank um, you so much. Same, yeah. same here. Thank you. That's, that's really cool. Uh, so to answer your question, how how has my how's my struggle shaped my business um well two things come to mind uh, number one is the, the the firm that my business partner and i founded is called initiate impact it's a wealth management firm focused on generosity so what we do uh, we we do your typical uh handlings in the wealth management space you know whether it's retirement planning or helping people invest their money um understanding their risk risks that they have you know whether it's um you know stuff as deep as death or as simple as, you know, maybe, you know, maybe some poor investment returns, um, but we counsel and help people make wise money decisions so that they can be generous. And I think that's the key. So I told you about the generous things that Tim O'Brien did for me and my family. Yes. Uh, and I did the other things, like I said, there's, there's a laundry list of other things that, that happened to me that other people put in my life at that point that helped me get through that. It took me years and years to really work through the emotions and understand. So the reason why we're we help people manage their money wisely 
uh, the reason why we do tax returns and the reason why we uh, you know, help people when they're purchasing homes or help them make decisions on where to put their money or help them start a business or do uh, bookkeeping. The reason why we do all of these tasks that a lot of people think are kind of boring and not, you know, almost necessary evils, which to be honest with you, I'm in the business and I think it is too, like no one really enjoys doing a tax return, um, but you got to do it right. You know, you want to do it the right way and and not, um, and not just the right way because you want to be a rule follower. I mean, that's important as well. You know, we're always going to do it properly and legally. But if you do it right, you're you can maximize the value that you have to do good in the world. And so that's why we do those things. So the the first thing that comes to mind is absolutely that the the, the generous things that people done have done for me. I realize that in my life, I know the things that I'm good at. I know the skills that I have. And I feel called to use them to do well. So if I'm really good at managing a team of people that help people manage their finances, then I'm I'm going to go a million miles an hour towards doing that as best as I can to help people uh, make wise decisions and, and hopefully have better lives. So that's the, the first thing. And then the second thing that comes to mind, too, is I realize the work that we do in the financial industry uh, is becoming less and less about numbers and net worth and taxes and interest rates uh, and more about people's well-being. And so I think what we do, uh, and in fact, not I think, I know, I've seen it. I mean, we poll our customers. We've we've done events on these type of things. It's it's not a question anymore. It's an absolute fact. I have the proof and the data is that people's lives are better. They feel more fulfilled when they have that healthy relationship with money, which is what I was talking about when we were talking about the book. So we, I truly feel like we're making people's lives more fulfilled and we're making the world a better place. By making, by by lessening the stress that people have around their financial tasks yes. uh, or their business, yes. uh, and giving them the time and the energy, I mm. think that's cute key too. So we don't. There, there's definitely a value of of the service that we provide because it gives you back time. You don't have to do those things yourself or worry about them. And that I don't want to minimize that, but it's the energy I find is most important because when you're not you're not mentally fatigued. And you're not concerned and worried about and stressed about your financial life. Yes, indeed. All of that energy that you would most people waste. And I've been there in my life too. This is not, you know, I'm I've never experienced this. I've I've been in, in my life where money was a huge stress for me. Uh once you eliminate that stress, and there's many other stresses, but that's one of them. And life's a big one in life. We I think we both agree. Once you eliminate that stress it gives you more energy and effort to put towards the things that are most meaningful to you, whether that's spending time with your kids, whether that's traveling the world, whether that's volunteering at your favorite nonprofit organization, yes. uh, whether that's organizing a project that helps someone. Um, it could be any myriad of things, but that just the fact that you're less stressed and more energized means that the, the time that you do get back is that much better time. It's not just time, it's time with quality to it. And it's so meaningful. Yes, yes, indeed. I totally agree with you. <laughs> I totally agree with you. Personal finances can definitely be a beast if you don't have them in order. So I definitely agree with you on that. So yeah. I ask you, um, during your time, what was the event that took place which led you to a deciding factor to start your own business. All right. So I, can I can I give you two? Because sure. I, yeah. So I'll give you the short one. It's almost kind of comical about how we started the business. So what better time to start a business than during a pandemic, right? So the, so we're during the pandemic and, and our max size, uh, we, so we were working for a, a larger organization and essentially like subcontract, we're technically employees, we're what's called a statutory employee. So it's kind of like being a 1099, uh, but we're a W-2 that gets the benefits of like health insurance, which was nice. But from a tax perspective, we're we we're basically 1099. And not to get into the weeds in too much, but essentially we kind of owned our own business, even though we worked for a larger organization. Um, so there were some benefits to that. And there were also some drawbacks. Well, one of the benefits was, is that we had like lots of support. So we could call up anytime and talk to whoever we needed to. Uh, one of the drawbacks was that we're kind of on an island when it comes to like office space and employees and 
expenses and running, you know, like the typical day-to-day -day business type of thing. So my business partner and I would have our, and she wasn't a business partner in title at this time. We were just working together uh, on this team here in South Florida. We would have our office meeting or our like leadership meeting, if you will, at 8.30 in the morning before our 9 a.m. Monday morning tea meeting where the whole team would come together. <laughs> So, but we couldn't have it in person anymore because of the pandemic. The office was closed and we, you know, it's not like we were going to drive and meet somewhere. So we would just have it on the phone and uh, which is what we do now. But back then it was a big adjustment. And I remember one of these days uh, over the, over the weekend, I had a bunch of thoughts. I don't know if I was listening or reading something. I don't know. I, you know, I was, I was deep in dive on the business and trying to learn and try to be better and figure out how to navigate the pandemic. And I said to her that morning, I said, Stacy, before we even start the conversation and get into all the weeds on the management stuff we have to talk about, I want to ask you a question and give me an honest answer. And I said, what would you think if we left the company and started our own? And I expected her to say, you're nuts. And she had worked for the company longer than I had at that point. Wow. And she goes, and this is her response. I think that's a great idea. And I was like, what? And so... <laughs> You asked what the event was that led to us starting our own company. That five-second or less interaction sparked, I mean, within a few months, we had already had the plans laid out. I mean, we were ready to go. So um, that was the actual, like, in-action practical step that led to it. But I'll tell you a, a quick story. It's it's There's a deeper version of the story uh, in the book. One of the chapters in the book is about is about this and, and the, the meaning behind serving others. But the I went, I had an opportunity in my previous firm at the time was the largest donor to an organization called Habitat for Humanity. I don't know if you're familiar, but yes, um, yes. They, they build homes and, and sanitation systems yes. all over the world for, for families. Yes. And they do great work in the United States. So if you if you're ever interested in volunteering at a habitat um, project, by all means would, would highly recommend. I'm familiar well, I'm in Georgia from Georgia. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I I was lucky enough. I don't know how I won this award, but at one point I was the divisional volunteer of the year at my firm at, when we were at the previous firm, and they part of that process or you know part of the benefit, if you will, is they send you on a they would send you on a habitat bill to another country. Wow. And I was at a stage in my life where I was you know, thinking about what happened to me when I was 18 and still trying to be a generous person, but I really wasn't in a position mentally or probably even financially to be, to afford to go to another country uh, right. and just and spend, a, you know, spend the money in donations and airfare and everything to go serve and take a week off of work. Right. But because I won this award, they sent me along with a bunch of other people from the company from all over the place. So I actually get to go meet a bunch of people that work for the company that I didn't even know because they lived in other states and countries and whatever. Ooh. So we go down there and the long and short version of the story is that the what people have or don't have um, is not necessarily important. What's important is you know what they feel about the, the situation in life. And, and these people, if you compare their home to the home that I live in or the vehicles that they didn't have or the animals that they had or the, the situation or the, um, you know, the availability of technology that they have compared to what we have is just, uh, it almost, it almost makes me emotional like that, that these people live like that, but they're the most joyful people in the world. Yes. And what we gave to them pales in comparison in what they gave to us. And the relationships that you build with people and the relationships that I built with the people in my company that I've never met before, they immediately became my favorite people in the company because I don't think there's anything that is stronger than the bond you create in service to other people. Yes. <laughs> there were things, man, that we did for those families. And I've gone back. I lead trips now. I go and because of the pandemic. We haven't been able to, but I, I, I go myself now and I recruit people. So if anyone ever wants to go on a trip like this, God, please, you know, open this up again so that the, you know, the pandemic and everything's over so we can go back overseas and do this because they shut the program down. Hit me up if you want to go. Tell you it's life-changing. But the bonds that we 
the thing, excuse me, the things that we did with those people, I would never do in my own house. I would never mix cement by hand, put bricks up, tamping and gravel. And I mean, I could tell you stories, you know, a bunch of them for all the trips that I've been on, but I would never do those things probably even for my own home. But when you're sweating and you're putting in work and you're tired and exhausted and you do that with other, and you struggle with other people, you build these bonds. So the reason why that was so meaningful is because I realized that the value of that type of effort for people is, is truly life-changing. And yes. so now the work that we did and the reason why we started our company is so that, going back to what we were just talking about, that the financial part of their life is not a detractor from doing stuff like that. I want other people to be able to do things like that. And I feel the best way for me and my skills, my business partner to help people do that is to help them de-stress around money so that they have the time and energy, like I talked about, to go do something like that. Yes, that is awesome. I've always wanted to do stuff like that because I already have some of the skill sets. Right? I know how to um, do the drywall. I know how to oh. the carpenter's frames. I already know how to do these things because as a teenager, I learned how to do these things in order for me to make money. And I worked upon that journeyman at that time <laughs> because I thought that this was something that I wanted to do as a career path for myself. Yeah. It turns out that it wasn't for me. It wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. But the beauty of it is even to this day, like I literally built my own station in order to be able to do podcasts. <laughs> so. I, I give you a lot of credit, man. I, I am not a handyman at all. So. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun though. It's a lot of fun. And I would love to be on a project like that to help people out, especially when I know that this is providing an opportunity for them to have a better living. You know, that is truly awesome. And I, Definitely commend you for that. I commend you big time. Thank, Thank you, you so much for being the type of person that's willing to even put forth the effort for other people. That is awesome. I love it. I love it. No, so. thank you. I, I, I'm just, I'm just convinced that the human mind and body, like we're designed to do things for other people. Like it doesn't mean that everyone's got to be a, you know, a life-saving surgeon mm -hmm. or end world hunger. That's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is just the little things in life. Like we're designed to support others. It feels good. Uh, there's a lady by the name of Wendy Steele. If anyone wants to kind of nerd out on some of the, like the science and, and biology behind all this, there's a Ted talk that she did. She's the founder of an organization called impact 100 global. But if you just search Wendy Steele, Ted talk, it's probably 12, 15 years old, this Ted talk, but it totally stands up. And it's all about the hormones of bonding and giving and how the mind is designed to experience those things. And it's almost kind of contagious. You know, when you, most people really like you've received a gift before and it, from someone, right? And it feels good, especially when it's unexpected. Someone does something for you. It's like, oh man, they, like they love me and they care for me. And, and now for whatever they gave me, it's going to help me do whatever I need to do. Exactly. Right? People get that. Now, a lot of people would also understand it also feels good to be the giver. Right. Like when you give the gift, when you're the person that offers something that also usually feels good because you see that person, the joy on their face and you see it, it helping them. Yes. But what often goes overlooked and what Wendy points out and does and, and goes into the weeds on in a good way, like she, the way she explains it is great. And uh, oxytocin is, is the bonding hormone. Women may have heard of this one. It's, it's also related to childbirth when you talk about the bond between a yes. mother and child. But when he talks about this, the, the third party, the onlooker, the other person that experiences this act of generosity, they also get that hit of oxytocin. They also feel joy. Right. And so that's why generosity is contagious. Because if I give something to you or you give something to me, whoever else saw that happen yes. and saw that nice act, it's yes. also going to feel good. <laughs> that is so true. And it kind of reminds me also of... Um, back in the day, long before money was even invented, when the bartering system was very active, very active. I mean, it was like a favor for a favor. You know, if whoever had the skill set, they would help out the people who didn't have the skill sets. 
And in return, we'll go and do something for you because I have the skill set to do this. And it worked. It worked very well. And at some point in my life, I started wishing that we could actually go back to that and just totally eliminate the money because mm-hmm. it the money isn't as important as the foundation that we build, not only for ourselves, but the foundation that we build for our children, we build for friends, we build for a stranger. Those foundations that we help to build, that's the soil to our life. That's the soil mm. to what makes us better. <laughs> Love that language. Yeah, the soil, man. That's awesome. I, I heard a quote. I heard a quote the other day. The grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is greener when you water it. Um, <laughs> and it and it made me realize, like, yeah, I mean, we have like where we plant our seeds, like where we are in our in in our current state of life is is infinitely meaningful like the soil and the things that we build up from the earth you know you know whether it's literally or 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 physically like uh excuse me whether it's literally or figuratively um are so important um and yeah i can only imagine going back to times before they you know we had a monetary system and (laughs) the federal reserve and interest rates and central banking and all that that's a whole nother conversation for another episode yes yes it is but think about it though the only, a lot of people feel that money is what makes us rich, but money doesn't make us rich. What makes us rich is personal growth, mm-hmm. understanding, knowledge, and how we take all those things that we've gone through in our entire life and put them together and make those things work for us and the society that we choose to live around love it that's what makes us rich <laughs> oh 100 man the, i got a buddy of mine who hangs out on twitter he actually he lives in he lives uh in in great britain actually i've never met in person but he, oh, we always talk about the rich life mm-hmm. and we do some spaces like social audio rooms on twitter and we tie we title the room something about being rich inevitably there's always people that come in and say hey i'm gonna make you rich here's how i got rich like no man we're not talking about financially rich we're talking about rich in joy uh rich in in you know purpose um, rich in relationships Mm -hmm. and those things are really are important so yeah i i I couldn't echo you more (laughs) definitely definitely so i have another question for you okay On the average, as an author, we usually take our titles and our titles are usually connected to something personal about us. What would your title be connected to about you personally? Oh, wow. So this is not a sales pitch in the book. By all means, um, check it out. But I tell stories about my, I tell personal stories in the book and it's absolutely related to me. So personal finance to me is, there's a lot of books out there about personal finance. And so maybe, I don't know, you, you might not be able to see the subtitle, but it's personal finance in a public world. And there's a little bit of a dichotomy there because mm-hmm. I realized in my life, you know, social media to me in the beginning when like Facebook and those things first started, it was kind of a cool tool to be able to communicate with people, right? You know, that was kind of like web one. And then you got into the web two and it started becoming more of a, uh, you know, broadcasting marketing tool. And once that hit, it completely changed for me. Uh, I haven't voluntarily opened Facebook in well over a decade. Um, I have an account. It's linked to my Instagram. Um, I am on Instagram, you know, LinkedIn and Twitter a lot, occasionally some of the other ones. So I'm not saying social media is bad, but I realized we live such a public life and then finance is such a personal topic, mm-hmm. right? Most people like going back, my, my wife's from small town, Michigan, like, and, you know, espe- even down where I live where it's a melting pot and a little more open, but especially up there, there's just certain things that you don't talk about around the dinner table. You don't talk about sex. You don't talk about money, right? And so money is such a personal topic, but I realized in this 
public world, like there's so much information out there. And believe it or not, there's a lot of sources out there that are asking for your money. In fact, one of the stats in the book, over 2,100 times a day, we interact with some kind of media device, phone, yes. tablet, whatever, swipe, text, touch, mm. over 2,100 times a day. And so I titled the book that because I know that my so-called public social life is drastically influencing and affecting my personal finances. I mean, a lot. And I, once again, I tell a couple of stories in the book about it, but um, we, we really need to, we really need to set down our priorities first. And um, I got a few tips and tricks maybe that will help people realize what, like how to use technology as a positive force in our life. And so that's why I titled it that. And then at the bottom of the title, it also says how technology, social media, and ads affect our money decisions. So each chapter is dedicated to a financial topic that most people at one point or another in my career have asked me about, or you could find you know, questions about on the internet. And then it, it addresses that topic and technology simultaneously. So there's a topic on investing, there's one on insurance, there's one on retirement planning, there's one on taxes, there's one on charitable giving, there's one on hiring a professional financial planner type. I mean, there's one on all these popular topics. Uh, there's one on cryptocurrency, if you're interested on that, economics, and they all address how to use technology to help you understand and manage that area of your financial life. Awesome, awesome. So, um... Tell me, um, when it comes to personal finance, mm -hmm. how does personal finance help you to structure your everyday life? Well, like we talked about in the beginning, uh -huh. money is a tool. And that's the main tool of personal finance. Right. Uh, and I, the way I look at it is this, there's plenty of financial products and, and financial tools that you can, places that you can invest your money. There's applications, there's companies. None of those is subordinate to money itself. Mm. In fact, I think money is just another tool. And so personal finance to me helps me structure my life because what it does is it gives me access and allows me to handle the other things in my life. I know that I can't live if I'm not paying my mortgage. Yeah, I, I know that I can't eat if I if I'm not paying for my bills. So, personal finance is just the application of all of the tools related to money, including money itself, and that enables you to, to do it all the other things you want. And uh, if you look at my social profiles, I, you know I'm the generosity guy. So, one of the things that it really helps me do is it helps me be generous, and that's probably the most meaningful part of it. So, so yeah. personal finance is a tool to help you live the lifestyle that you want to live. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So in the um, event that you're being generous, how does it make you feel? And what do you see in the people that you're helping? Well, it makes me feel great. I don't know how else to describe it. It's the best feeling in the world. I mean, outside of maybe having a child or getting married um, or, you know, or, uh, you know, the, the, the feeling that my parents probably get got when I was cured of my cancer, like those are some pretty mountaintop experiences in life. Um, but outside of those, I think acts of kindness and generosity to people are, are the, are really the, the best, most elating feeling in the world. So it's easy for me to answer that. Um, I, I've seen it many ways, like even even just opening a door for someone and seeing them smile is a good feeling. Yes. Um, oh my right. <laughs> I, so, couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more because I, I see that. And those are some things that I do on a daily basis. So it's like when you see that smile, someone looks up at you and they're like, thank you. Thank you very much. And it, it just gives a sense of joy. And it really feels good to be able to do something like that for someone and them to show the appreciation. And so one of the other things that I really love too is when you do something nice for a child, it, it is so cool and it's so funny because oh, yeah. all children can actually talk, but 
the expressions on their faces exploding with thank you, thank you, I truly appreciate you. And some people don't don't actually see it. That's the sad part of it. Some people don't actually see the joy on the child's face. They're too busy waiting for that verbal response. And mm. not cool, but looking at that joy is it's one of the most explosive points of joy that a person can ever feel when you do understand that a child is saying thank you with their facial expressions, not so much with their words. <laughs> no, I'm really glad you brought this up because my wife's the kindergarten teacher. Uh -huh. And you might think that a kindergarten teacher and a financial planner and, you know, are completely <laughs> different worlds, right? <laughs> and we definitely think differently. You know, we have different different ways of operating you know in our daily lives although we love each other and we're very compatible but we definitely think differently however i would be lying if i told you i haven't learned a lot about psychology for my wife and the stories uh, of her teaching young young people mm -hmm. uh, and i've even applied some of them to my daily life in my professional life and in, in, the, in the work that i do because i think you can learn so much from young people because they don't have the biases that we have their thoughts and ideas aren't skewed by years and years of experiences. So their reactions are natural. That's how humans were built and designed to, to react to things. <laughs> right or wrong, how they were designed, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But they, it's clear to me that young people display the natural free form of human thought. Yes. And so my <laughs> wife's stories about young people. And now, uh, one thing I didn't share about my previous story is that um, maybe you were able to tell, but I had a groin injury. It was testicular cancer and it had, it actually had spread to my abdomen and it was a pretty intensive uh, process to cure myself. But because of that, as a result of that, we've, we've been unable to have kids. So I'm infertile. Um, so honey, love you to death. It's my fault that we can't have kids. Um, we've tried different things. We had done sperm making and vitro fertilization, but we don't have kids of our own. So whenever I get an opportunity to spend time with young people and we mentor high school and college kids. So we have a pretty good mix. Like I like to go into my wife's classroom when I can awesome. and spend some time with them. Um, and so even though I haven't raised my own, I still have spent a fair amount of time with young people. And I, you're absolutely right. It's a really cool feeling. And it's an, almost a, an educational experience, at least for me, because maybe it's because I have, I don't have kids. It's, it's really amazing because the things I learn and see and understand and experience when I see how kids react to stuff is really cool. And you're, you're absolutely right. Yes, indeed. I love that. <laughs> I love that. And even some people without children, they can see it. They can understand the vibe that the children give off and mm -hmm. understand that this is probably the most genuine thank you, the most genuine act of joy, act of kindness that you're ever going to experience in your entire life is through a child. <laughs> oh, yeah. Genuine is a perfect word, man. That's it. They're so genuine. <laughs> they are. They're genuine. They're authentic. They, <laughs> yeah. they definitely keep me going because I actually drive a school bus um, outside of doing this and mm -hmm. I'm with children of all ages every day, Monday through Friday. And it's it's a beautiful thing because you actually get to see how each child interacts differently than the other child. And I love it, I love it. I wouldn't change it. I would change the fact that I'm driving a school bus for my podcast, but I wouldn't change the interaction with the children. <laughs> You're the first one outside of their parents like you're the first person related to school that they see every morning i bet you there's some like no pressure but i bet you there's some psychology behind that how important you are well i have four years of psychology <laughs> under my there belt you go. <laughs> but i do love the children it's, it's i don't know it's just something about that genuineness that protrudes it protrudes and it protrudes so much i can't help but to be happy about it you know so oh, I don't know what happened with my camera. It just said it just said, oh, it's too hot. <laughs> All right, well, I'm still here, but my camera apparently my, let me sit down. My camera's out. Uh -oh. but, uh, man, it's a great conversation. 
<laughs> no worries. So I'm still alive, I promise you. Oh, that's not the right camera either. What's going on here? Is it? There we go. I'm going to get the mic in the way so you can hear me. It's all well, right. this is technology, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. Now you have a better view of the book. We, we actually just talked about uh, technology, how it could be your best friend one moment. And the next moment, you're like, what in the world did I get myself into? <laughs> yeah. I've never seen the camera say that before. It said it's too hot. I don't know. <laughs> this conversation has been a little too hot, man. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the other things that I want to ask you is um, how effective do you feel that um, personal finance and living into say in today's society, how effective do you think that personal finance would help a person to build a new future? Oh, a new future. That's a great one. Well, especially if you've never really addressed budgeting and, and maybe if you have debt, I think it's it could be life changing for sure. Um, I've seen a lot of people, I could tell you a couple stories about people who seemed like there was no way out. Like they, you know, they, they couldn't pay their bills. They were on paycheck loans. They had student debts and they were, get, their debt was getting higher. But just a few little personal financial tips and tweaks to the way that they either paid their bills or the, the way that they that they saved their money um, was completely life-changing um, turn them from uh it, not only not in, not in a bad not only in a bad financial state but a horrible mental state right i mean we talked about how how much the, the psychology behind understanding what it is that you do well um or as understanding your finances and how important that is to, to, to be comfortable with it and have a good relationship with it. So yeah, it can be completely life-changing. I mean, and I've also met people, by the way, who have, who make a very, very high income, who have significant worth in their investments, but just couldn't balance a budget to save their life. And they're, they have a horrible relationship with money. Yes. So personal finance is important for anyone, whether um, you know, whether you're someone who's just starting out, maybe, maybe you're a student, you just got out of college and you have a lot of debt and, and you're trying to get a job or you're, you know, 75 years old and getting have retired. Like it's still important for everyone. The one thing I'll say that uh, that's really important. I mean, outside of like actual tips and tricks on like how to actually do stuff. But the one thing you always got to keep in mind is that money, um, money's a, it, it, it indicates value right? More than anything. So if it's important to make wise decisions based on the value that you place on things. Right. right? And I think that's most important. And when you, when you consider, when you consider the value of the things like in the future in your life, I think that can be a huge mindset shift. When someone starts thinking, you know, I, I really value X, you know, whatever it is in a couple having a home or yeah. getting married or having children or owning a business. Like when you place the value on those things, you realize the importance of, of making wise decisions so that you can achieve whatever that is in the future. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So um, what would, if you had, if you had to take two key takeaways for how you do financial um, planning versus how someone else does financial planning, what would be the two main takeaways that you would implement to your customers? Oh, cool. This, so you're giving me a chance to sell my business, man. Love it. Uh, so the, the first thing is the generosity component. I think we already touched on that. Um, regardless of your level of wealth, uh, if you're a customer or we use the word partners, um, it, it's kind of synonymous with the word clients, but we partner with people in their mission. So we use the word partner. So if you're a partner of Initiate Impact, the name of my firm, um, we are going to address generosity in your plan, whatever it is. It, it could, like I said, it could be as simple as just making sure you open doors. Maybe you're in a situation where financially you can't really give too much right now. We're still going to talk about it. Um, so that differentiates us right there. I know a lot of advisors are very, very good with the financial aspect of it, and that's all they concentrate on. No criticism of them. But what makes us different is we're always going to address the causes that are most meaningful to you and the things that you want to do uh, to be a generous person. So that's number one. And then number two is uh, I'm the financial guy, if you will, that 
is going to tell you to spend your money. And here's what I mean by that. There's a lot of financial planners out there who are going to tell you, you got to save all your money. You got to invest. I, I want to put more money in my account. I, I want to invest your money. So give it to me, you know, um, or don't spend it on this. You can't go out to dinner. You can't do what's fun. You got to save, 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 save. Uh, I agree with those and things in principle. I also believe in paying off debt. I believe in, in having a relatively debt-free life uh, outside of a mortgage. And maybe if you're a business person and you need a business loan, I can understand that. Um, but I believe in paying off debt. So all of those things I believe in, but here's the difference. Psychologically, if you spend money, and this is another thing that's proven, I've seen it over the years. If you spend money on the select few things that are meaningful to you, you are less likely to splurge on the things that the world tells you are important. So I don't mean buy a Lamborghini or overspend on your home or uh, you know be foolish with your dollars. That's not the case. Exactly. But what are the select few things in your life that bring you joy? Is it Starbucks? Is it going, uh, taking your kid to the movies? Um, is it investing in, you know, personal development books that you want to read? Or is it a charitable intent? You know, listen, I don't care how much money I have in my budget. I'm giving my money to this local food pantry because I believe in feeding the hunger. Who knows? Right. Spend your money on those things. I'm telling you right now, one of the first line items that we do when we're doing a budget for someone after the after the necessities you have to pay your rent you know you got to buy food after the things that are absolutely non-negotiable the first item that we select is what are the what's the thing that's going to bring you joy and if you buy that thing consistently uh within reason if you know what i'm saying like i'm talking about it is scientifically proven that you're going to be way less tempted to go buy the new outfit or to what the, the instagram ad that you saw told you you need to buy this new product or, you know, out on the internet, or you saw a television commercial, or your neighbor just bought a new, you know, to electronic toy, you're going to be way less, way less tempted to buy that stuff. And I've seen the people who, who make those small spends on the things that bring them joy, be way more successful sticking to their budget. Wow. <laughs> that definitely makes a lot of sense. Because sticking to a budget, it's, it's sometimes it's tough, depending on the type of person, the type of spender that you are, it can be tough. It can be challenging, but there is nothing like staying within a particular budget. That that right there opens so many doors of opportunity for you. It's just unreal. <laughs> it is. It is absolutely. <laughs> You'd be surprised the momentum it brings. I'm telling you, man. Like I can't tell you how many people they stick with it for. It's like you know a good habit. It takes a certain amount of time. Some say it's 30 days. Some say it's 60 days. I don't know what it is. For a good habit, but for good financial habits, when I see someone stick to something for a few months and they start reaping the rewards and seeing the benefit, yeah. there's nothing stopping that momentum, man. I'm telling you. That is true. That is so true. Scientifically, it's been proven that 22 days is what it takes to create a habit. <laughs> 22 days. All right, there you go. So for 22 days, yes, indeed. to your budget, and then after three weeks, you're going to be well on your way to taking that next step. Yes, indeed. The, the tricky part is being consistent. That's the tricky part. <laughs> yeah, you got to be consistent. Yes. Got, I was listening to a podcast uh, earlier today. They were talking about the 75 hard program. Oh, yeah. You ever heard of that? Yes, I have. <laughs> got to be consistent with the, with the diet, the sleep, and the exercise yes. for 75 straight days. So, yeah, that is so true. <laughs> That's more than 22. So what would be um, some of your key points that you would share about life experiences and helping people to do better with what you train them to do? Well, life experiences, we talked a little bit about my experience. I mean, I had a great, for the most part, growing up, I, I, I cannot complain at all. I was an only child. Mm -hmm. My parents gave up on me. <laughs> uh, not gave up on me, excuse me gave up after me they're like okay we had one kid that's enough yes. um, <laughs> we're that's all we can handle uh so I learned a lot of lessons early on about community like needing to build community in my life I mean I'm a I, I consider myself an extrovert uh I, I like my alone time don't get me wrong but I didn't have any siblings in the house so I had to go out and make friends <laughs> and that's been a really big help in my personal life and my business life about networking so I think from that from that point, from being a young person experiencing that and being open with what happened, you know, with the experiences that you have in your life, 
Um, we talked a little bit earlier about the things that you just don't talk about, but I would say you got to be open to someone about the things that happen in your life. You know, those tough times. You got to. So what are some of the, what are some of the ways that our audience can actually reach out to you and connect with you? <laughs> yeah, would, would love to, to catch people on the socials um, at BDEPA, B-D-E-P-A, Twitter, Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn too. Pretty active on those. Um, but if you want to hit me up directly, you can go to bobdepasquale.com. Uh, that's my personal site and my business site. If you want, if you have financial questions and you want, you know, want some counseling or just some help, uh, we got a free program that people go through uh, to help them work through some of the basic things and uh, free for life. So if you, if you want to join, just want to get your feet wet, you can go to initiateimpact.com. You can find all the contact info there, but my DMs are open on the social man. So anyone wants to hit me up, go ahead. Awesome. Well, I definitely want to hit you up as far as the building is concerned, because I actually want to be a part of that program. <laughs> cool, man. Awesome. Build better homes. Yeah, I definitely want to be a part of that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I would love to. Would love. To, I, I'd like to think next fall, so about a year from now, oh. my hope is that they're ready to, because once, the, once they give the okay to be able to do them, then they got there's a lot of process to set all the trips up and figure out who needs the home and do the bit you know all that stuff. So I'm hoping in the fall that we'll be we'll be taking the trip somewhere, probably to South America. Sounds good to me. <laughs> well, Brad, I mean Bob, I'm sorry. Thank you so much for everything. I truly appreciate you being a part of this show. You have definitely been an awesome guest. Thank you so much, man. And hopefully we can connect outside of this. That would be awesome. That would be super awesome. Well, that's my time. Thank you so much for being a part of YTP Entertainment. Peace and blessings to you, my brother. Have a great day and a great weekend. All right, yellow. Peace, brother. Thanks, bro. <laughs>